You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Karina. So today we're talking about the word abolition. Mm -hmm. And the reason I really wanted to do this word um, this season is because it's a big word in every way, I feel. like It has a big history, has a big meaning, and it's definitely having a big moment right now. Um, yeah. It's hard to cram everything about this word into one episode. I think a big takeaway is like there's a lot of reading and learning to do on this topic. A hundred percent. But we'll, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot. Uh, I guess the best place to start, as we usually do, is with the, the literal definition. Yeah. Okay. So abolition, it's very straightforward. Um <laughs> It has Latin roots, and its meaning is just to destroy. And I wanted to start there because I think the word destroy, destruction, it's definitely negative to our years, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think of, like, abolition, like, removing something or crushing something, just completely eradicating, wiping something out. It's, It's like the demolition of a building, you know? Yeah, yeah, like Godzilla just rampaging <laughs> through a city, like, like destruction. Yeah. And, I, like, I think an interesting thing about this word is that when you talk to abolitionists, they tend to define abolition in sort of the opposite way, that it's it's really about opening or new beginnings, an ethic of care or even love. Hmm. So there's this tension between a very, like, radical, angry, destructive word that a lot of people see and the sort of peacefulness and gentleness that abolitionists see behind it. Yeah, I love that. That makes it a very word-bomby word. Yeah, it does, right? <laughs> um, so more than just the word today, we're talking about the abolition movement, obviously. And to be clear, we don't just mean the historic movement to abolish the Atlantic slave trade, right. but we're, we're talking about the, the contemporary movement to abolish prisons or policing. Though the movement today is very much connected to that historic, like, Abraham Lincoln era movement, Mm -hmm. which we will get into. Yes. So this modern movement argues that uh, rather than reform the systems of police and prisons, we need to actually get rid of them completely. And as evidence, um, the movement points to a bunch of ways that policing and prisons don't solve the problems in our society the way that we want them solved. Right. And in this past year, especially like since the murder of George Floyd, I feel like we've had a reckoning in North America and probably beyond with this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of us have heard the slogan abolish the police over the past year. And I actually kind of thought before doing this episode that it was synonymous with defund the police. Yeah, I thought that as well um, till recently. So the difference is that um, defund the police is looking to reallocate the funds almost entirely to things like community supports and social services, but not necessarily abolish the police entirely. Like they they might be in favor of maintaining a small police force for really extreme specific emergencies. Whereas abolition is a total fresh start, a, a world where police and prison don't exist in any form. And this big idea really freaks a lot of people out. Yeah. But we're going to get to alternatives later. <laughs> yeah. So for this episode, my first choice for an interview was to talk to Ronaldo Walcott. 
And mm. I'm happy to say I did. <laughs> so great. Um, he's the director of the Women and Gender Studies Institute at the University of Toronto. And in early 2021, he published a book called On Property. And the book is about abolition. Um, but what's cool about it is that uh, in the book, he's connecting like this idea of abolishing police and prisons to the idea of abolishing property, too. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about the property part when you first told me about this book. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely get into that. Um, in the meantime, I really recommend it to everyone. If I can just plug the book for a second. <laughs> it's it's actually more of a pamphlet than a book. It's like a long essay. And I think when someone recommends you read a book about abolition, you picture like this dense academic, very, like, theoretical tome. That's totally what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. And this is not that. It's, like, very beautifully concise and written in plain language. And it, it just lays out the argument for the abolitionist movement today and how that relates back to historic abolition of the slave trade and, most importantly, how police and prison and property are all kind of intertwined ideas. So you talked to Ronaldo. Yeah, and it was a really good conversation. I'm going to play a chunk of it now, and then we'll discuss it. What you're about to hear is edited and condensed for length. Um, the first thing I like to ask every guest to do is just define the word we're talking about in their own words. So if someone on the street came up to you and said, what is abolition? Uh, how would you define that? Yeah, well, I would say that abolition is... Um, a word that has a double meaning or two sides to it. In the one instance, it means to bring something to an end, but it also means that in bringing something to the end, um, something new opens up. So um, right now, um, I am using abolition in the context of bringing to the end the kinds of carceral, mean in prison, criminal justice practices that we currently engage in in North America and throughout the Americas and other parts of the world. And in the attempt to bring those current practices to an end, to open up the opportunity for other ways of being to come into fruition. Could you talk a bit about like those other ways of being? Like what's the... What's the, the goal? So the whole premise of thinking about what it would mean to live in a world where police is not needed, where what we've come to call the prison industrial complex is not needed, where the kinds of legislative and juridical practices of criminal justice law are not needed, is to begin to rethink the world and human relations and interactions. And this notion of abolition says that, in fact, um, what those institutions do is that they perpetuate harm. Um, they continue the cycle of, of violence and so on. But the other side of this abolition is to say that as human beings, we can learn to live differently together, that we can have different ways of addressing transgression and harm, and that we can break the cycles of violence that now encapsulate all of our lives. I think um, lots of people, when they hear or see the word abolition, their first thought is just a, a historical movement to end slavery. Could you talk a bit about how contemporary 
abolition movements are connected to that sort of historical one that is people's first thought when they hear it? Yeah, well, it's connected in, in a number of ways. The first that is really present is that our modern system of policing comes out of the history of plantation slavery and slavery across the Americas. Policing has evolved out of the patty rollers or slave patrols that would go to seek and find runaway slaves, but also came out of an attitude in the plantation holding Americas where any white person had the authority to ask any black person why they were off the plantation, walking around in a city, and so on. And so many of the practices of, of modern policing encapsulate those kinds of behaviors and attitudes as well. For instance, carding, asking someone where they're going and asking them to show their ID. One can make the link right back to plantation slavery. I think uh, the connections between police and prison are pretty apparent to most people. They can kind of tap into pretty easily how that might be a, a system that feeds into each other. But what about property? I think the leap to property is, is one that a lot of people aren't as clear on. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really important and a more abstract notion that I try to argue in the book, but it's also one that for many Black people is not abstract at all. It's in fact quite visceral and quite intimately felt. Of course, people who know the basis of, of slavery know that Black people were owned by others, that Black people were not able to own themselves. A lot of time of modern policing is spent um, making sure that people don't trespass someone else's property, making sure that if someone took someone else's property, it can be recovered and so on. But a great amount of policing time and energy and effort is also spent in surveilling and keeping intact very particular notions of property so that homeless people don't sleep in the foyer of the bank machines where they're housed or that homeless people don't set up encampments and parks and so on. So this idea of policing and property are really quite intricately tied and they're so intricately tied as to be one and the same that if we didn't have the notion of property we wouldn't necessarily need policing okay i just want to pause here because like i said i had a lot of questions about this i think i understand what he's saying most policing is actually about protecting private property but what does he mean by abolishing property, like in practical terms, what is that actually going to look like? Right. Okay. So um, basically, he's saying that if policing and property is one and the same, you can't realistically abolish one without abolishing the, the other, right? Okay. And to Ronaldo, the only logical and ideal outcome is to do away with private property um, with the goal being to like redistribute the earth's resources and private wealth in a more equitable way. And, and he argues that that's the only realistic way to tackle things like homelessness and climate change and just like the huge wealth gap um, in general. This just sounds like uh, communism. <laughs> right. Uh, so, like, I think when we talk about this, people imagine uh, like 
their home or their bank account getting repossessed by the state overnight, (laughs) right? It's it's not that. That would never happen. Uh, It's just like you can't abolish prisons or the police literally overnight, right? right? It's a process. But yes, like Ronaldo doesn't shy away from the fact that the goal for him is to abolish private property. And obviously by private property, I don't mean just owning homes, but but like mm. the concept of, of like mine and yours, like property as a concept, yeah. as a whole. Big stuff. Yeah. Um, it was actually Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who's an American abolitionist. Uh, she described abolition as, quote, small C communism without a party. <laughs> and Ronaldo would be the first to admit that private property has been abolished during communist regimes and led to a great deal of violence mm-hmm. and shouldn't be held up as successes, right? Yeah. But he argues that you could look to other methods of abolishing the concept of property, like, for example, drawing inspiration from indigenous approaches to property, which are a lot more wide ranging and less rigid than settler ideas of, you know, like what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. Right. So next in the interview, I'm asking Ronaldo about abolishing versus reforming the police. Right. And I think this is a really important point to revisit. Uh, because to a lot of people, the word reform sounds a lot better than the word abolish. Right. Like reforming is about fixing something that's broken. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a good thing? Right. Right. I feel like growing up, we're taught to try to fix things rather than just say, like, screw it and throw the whole system out. Yeah, exactly. Here's Ronaldo. I think one of the reasons why abolish the police has taken on the kind of tenor that has taken on in our recent political organizing, our recent political um, resistance, is that since at least the 1960s and 70s, um, there have been numerous kinds of policing reforms. Policing reforms have moved from um, once being a men's only club to including women. Um, Policing reforms in North America have moved to expanding the categories of who can be policed. But what has stayed steady and in some instances even increased is that Black and Indigenous people in particular continue to find themselves over-policed, discriminated by police, experiencing significant amounts of police violence, and then also finding themselves incarcerated at increasing numbers. So abolition seeks to recognize and does recognize that what has been called reform has not garnered for Black and Indigenous peoples the kinds of experiences that reform promises it will garner. And therefore, reform cannot be the route to solving this problem, but an entire abolition of the practice so that something else might come into its place. Do you think it needs to be made, just like in the messaging around it and the way people talk about it, does it need to be more palatable to make any actual progress? Well, I will say a couple of things to that. One is that we need not fear the word, but the desire to make the word more palatable is already to be pulled into the logic of reform. And abolition stands as a firm refusal of reform. But the other thing that I would say is that, you know, what seems to scare people is 
that we have so inculcated in ourselves the need for policing that to hear that we can imagine and actually make a world where the police are not necessary is terrifying to many people. And I get why it's terrifying because there has been, you know, a build up of 500 years of making this institution called the police and all of its apparatus, prisons, criminal justice law, and so on, appear to be central to what it means to live a life and to be a person. And here comes along these activists and scholars and thinkers who are saying, well, actually, there's another way to build a life and to be a person and to care for each other and to still sanction transgression and to still sanction harm. And it doesn't have to be built around an institution that is founded in violence, that continually replicates violence, and that actually responds to violence with more violence. Um, so I understand and we understand why um, the word and everything that it seems to encapsulate for some seems scary, but the word in and of itself stands as that border towards something much more hopeful. At the end of that section, Ronaldo mentions how, you know, we're standing at the border of something more hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I think something that a lot of people wonder about when we talk about abolition is what replaces it. Mm -hmm. We say abolish the police, property, prisons. What fills that vacuum? And Alex S. Vitali, who wrote the book The End of Policing, which I read last year, and it makes this point really, really clear. He says we should look at all the roles that we ask the police to serve in our society. And there are so many of them, right? Yeah. Think about traffic, mental health, all the way to violent crime or property crime or drug offenses. And he says we should look for evidence-based alternatives in an effort to scale back how much we're relying on the police for all of these different purposes. And he uses an example of burglary. Many burglaries, as we can all imagine, are actually driven by drug use. And if drug users had access to safe supply or resources without having to break into someone's home or car, that removes the need for policing those crimes. So it's sort of about repairing the source of a problem rather than just the Band-Aid solution. Yeah, it's like attacking the root cause of it. Yeah. So so basically the idea is like channel all of these huge resources that we, we currently put into funding police forces and prisons and instead, use it to fund all of the things that we know, like like you said, evidence-based, things mm -hmm. that we know eliminate that like root cause of crime. So things like housing and healthcare and mental health supports and education and social services and even like humane urban planning and yeah. employment opportunities. I mean, like when we talk about the 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 huge resources that we can reallocate to these things. I mean, like there are some numbers in Ronaldo's book. And he says in Toronto, the police budget is $1.2 billion or nearly 10% of the city's yeah. total, you know, municipal budget. So that's the, the single largest item, like line item in the budget. And it grows year over year, right? So there's, yep. a, there's a lot of money there. Um, and it's not doing what we want it to, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but... Say we've reduced crime by addressing these root causes like we've been talking about, but there's still going to be crime, right? Yeah. 
So what happens in that situation if there's no prison to put somebody in, right? A lot of alternatives Mm -hmm. supported by prison abolitionists are about restoring humanity and dignity to both the victim of the crime, but also to the perpetrator. And I think this is sort of a controversial idea. Yeah. The idea is to bring them back into the community through things like restorative or transformative justice. Yeah, you're not like isolating them by putting them in prison and doing this sort of punitive retaliation, right? Yeah, and in so many cases, people being funneled into the prison system actually perpetuates a a life of crime and they come out with fewer options. Yeah. There are so many alternatives that we could get into here. A lot of them are borrowing from non-Western cultures. For example, there's an idea called creative restitution, where an offender is asked to make amends to those that he hurt, you know, with supervision and with boundaries, with the goal being of restoring the victim to the state they were in before the harm. Mm -hmm. I think everyone is just really feeling hungry for change. That sounds so cliche to say, but it's I think it's true. (laughs) I think it's actually true. (laughs) I think it's true. But it sounds hokey to say. Mm -hmm. Something I'd like to revisit is how we mentioned at the start of the episode this tension between abolition meaning destruction to some people and love to others. Right. And this is actually what Rinaldo ends his book on. He references a quote from Saidia Hartman, who's an American academic and writer, and she published an essay that had the question, is abolition a synonym for love? Nice. Which is lovely. And and his answer yeah. is obviously yes, because <laughs> abolition is about not just how we love ourselves, but it's about how we love other people. And he says that in a lot of abolitionist literature, the focus is on what he called a new form of care, like being mm-hmm. able to imagine this new way of caring for everyone that steers us away from really punitive systems like prison or policing and into a like a framework that that is the point is to lift people out of bad circumstances in the first place instead of punishing them for finding themselves in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like a really kind of tender framing to abolition. And it's just something we could all kind of think about. Yeah. <laughs> the word abolition <laughs> tricks people into thinking it's something Harsh. Scary and harsh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, but really it's about, like, caring about other people. I like that. You know, I think that's a, a nice place to end it. Yeah, I think so, too. Word Bomb is produced by me, Karina Palmatesta. And me, Pippa Johnstone. Thank you to Ronaldo Walcott for the interview. Our show is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territories of many nations, including the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. I hope that this topic encourages all of us to think a little bit more deeply about the relationships with the land that we're on, and if the systems that we're putting on that land are actually serving us. Yes. Uh, Thank you to everyone at TVO who makes this show possible. And thank you for listening.